pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, which is a day that has never occurred before. Lord, all we can do is live in this day. We can't live, we can't live yesterday. We live in this day. And we thank you for your faithfulness toward us today. Lord God, we thank you that we have your word in front of us today. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit today. We thank you that Jesus is risen. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us now. And I pray, Lord, for attentive hearts and minds as your word is opened. Um, help me, as has been prayed already, to decrease while you increase. You do your work through your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen. Florence Chadwick was an American long-distance swimmer and the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. But in 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted a new swim. She attempted a swim from England to the California coast, a distance of about 26 miles. But she faced three separate adversities. The first adversity was the incredibly water. The second was the presence of sharks that had to be driven away several times by rifle fire uh, from the boats that were following her as she swam. It's the birthday girl. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Amen. The third adversity that Florence Chadwick faced was thick fog. After she swam for about 16 hours, Florence asked to be taken out of the water. The fog was very thick, and a discouraged Florence decided that her attempt to swim this route was now over, even though it turned out that she was less than a mile from her goal when she quit. And she said later, I'm not myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might have made it. God calls us as believers in his son, Jesus Christ, to endure the end, to persevere in faith, to not give up. And Daniel 12, which is our final passage in this series of sermons, this is a chapter where God clears away the fog, bringing the destination, the destination of his church into view so that the church will persevere, finish the race, despite the adversity that will surely come. Now, chapter 12 begins where chapter 11 left off. If you were with us last week, chapter 11, where we, there was that great sweep of history from the time of Xerxes of Persia right up until the time that is still future to us when the Antichrist arrived on the stage of world history. As chapter 12 begins... The celestial man, the great angel of the Lord, is still talking with Daniel, sharing his astounding, and it is astounding, prophecy, 
And he keeps prophesying here about the time just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. Christ will be on the scene. He says to Daniel, At that time shall arise Michael. Remember Michael? The great prince who has charge of your people. So notice, friends, this passage begins with some very good news. The mighty archangel, Michael, will step into the fray. And the original, original Hebrew of verse 1 suggests the idea of Michael guarding over or protecting the people of God. This is good news. With this angel Michael on our side, we are in good shape as God's weak and wobbly people. But the celestial man continues. He says, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. We're, we are reminded here of what the Apostle says in the first verse of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that in the last days, that is, in the time between the first and second coming of Jesus, difficult times will come, says Paul. Now, my friends, this world is broken, yes? After Genesis 3, descent of human beings into rebellion against God, the world has been out of its socket, jarred out of its original condition. The time of trouble prophesied in Daniel 12.1, the difficult times that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 3, arise broken condition of the world and the sinful people who inhabit the world. But then notice the promise in the final sentence of verse 1. At that time your people shall be what? Delivered, hallelujah, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, as early as Exodus 32, we heard about God having a book in which are written the names of every elect citizen in his kingdom. And the prophecy here is that every one of those people written in that book would be delivered in the final days. But what sort of deliverance are we talking about? Well, listen, friends. Even before we get what we might call the full technicolor revelation of the resurrection, New Testament, the Old Testament has already given us a few black and white sort of blurred, slightly blurred pictures that suggested very strongly live after they die. For example, 
Psalm 49, 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will ransom my soul from the place of the dead. He will receive me. Or Job 19, verse 26, where Job says, skin has thus has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Isn't that a tremendous Old Testament resurrection verse? Or Isaiah 26, your dead shall what? Live. Their bodies shall rise. Doesn't this sound New Testament? You who dwell in dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. So friends, already in the Old Testament, there was this picture that was emerging of resurrection. And Daniel 12, 2 adds to that very joyous course. In fact, it can be argued 12.2 is the clearest Old Testament picture of resurrection. Here's how the verse reads. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Wow, so here's an Old Testament verse that would eat I think, into the New Testament. And it's important to note here that the very first instance, the very first instance in the entire Bible of the phrase everlasting life is found right here in Daniel 12, 2. This is huge, in fact. But again, notice, won't you, the flow, the flow from verse 1 to verse 2. So in verse the celestial man had prophesied a deliverance, hadn't he, for God's people in the final days of history as we know it. And the deliverance is right here. In verse those whose lives, listen, those whose, whose lives have been staked on Jesus Christ will have their deceased bodies awoken resurrected to everlasting life. My friend, after your sleep in your grave up on Mount Rideau or Rideau or, or in your urn, God will give your decayed body an astonishing update, animating you making you physically alive again. Your soul reunited with your glorified, everlasting, physical body. At last, at last, you will be delivered from the old and ushered in to the everlasting new. Amen? We ought to be saying amen. Death being completely eradicated forever, having been conquered by our risen warrior king, 
Jesus Christ. So no more knee and hip replacements. No more bad eyes. No more appointments at the CLSC. No more disease. No more crying. No more dying. Amen. But we note in verse 2 that the, the final harvest of resurrection of which our Lord Jesus is the first it will be what Chris Wright has called a discriminating resurrection. The Lord will discriminate as he raises the dead. Who will be with him in the everlasting life he gives and who due to their unrepentant sin and their failure to believe, will be destined to and everlasting contempt. So we notice here that there's no middle ground. Did you notice that? There's no middle ground. The dead will be raised, and there will only be two categories in the, and in the justice of Almighty God. It will either be life spent eternally with him, or life spent eternally exiled from him. There is no middle ground. And I'm here to tell you today, my friend, the most important thing that can happen in your lifetime on this earth is that you come to believe in the Lord Jesus trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins that he has worked on his cross. In verse 3, our celestial man to describe the quality, the quality of this everlasting life that the believer will enjoy, the quality. Now, Jesus said of himself, he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light. He shines. He's bright. And then in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, he describes himself there as bright morning star. And so it wouldn't surprise us, would it, if those who follow Jesus would end up reflecting his great, even looking like stars ourselves who reflect the light of the bright morning star. And that's exactly where things go in Daniel 12, 3. And those who are that is, who are the wise? Those who cast their lot with Jesus Christ and stake their lives on him shall what? Shine like the brightness of the sky. And those who turn many to righteousness, that is, those whose courageous witness God uses to bring people into the kingdom and those who encourage others faithful, to persevere in faith during times of great trial, these people will shine like the stars forever and ever. In other words, there will be an everlasting, an everlasting glow about God's people who have persevered in faith and faithfulness to the very end. God clears away the fog here. 
even as we face adversities on a fallen planet, and he shows us where all of it is headed. As believers, we are headed where? To resurrection. To everlasting, everlasting brilliance and brightness reflecting our King forevermore, the bright morning star, Jesus our Lord. Well, this long prophecy which began back at the start of now comes to a close in 12.4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Daniel is told here to seal up, to preserve, and to safely protect his written-down copy of this long prophecy. It will be important for God's future for his suffering people to have access to this long after Daniel has died and passed off the scene. And then the angel says something very interesting at the end of the hour. He says, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now this phrase is cryptic. But it seems to echo a verse found in the book of Amos, namely Amos 8.12, where people are described there as running to seeking the word of the Lord, but not finding it. And here at Daniel 12.4, the meaning seems to be this. Daniel, preserve and protect from God that has just been given to you, there will come a time when people run in all directions. They run to and fro, seeking, seeking wisdom in every place other than the Lord. Amen, 2024? And though knowledge shall increase will be a vain and fruitless knowledge. The revelation that's given to you, Daniel, is the truth. It is the wisdom of God himself, and it must be served so that in that day it will be there, hiding in plain sight for anyone who picks it up and has ears to hear it. My friend, that the word of the Lord, the Bible, has been preserved over centuries so that you and I can hear it this morning at Snowden Baptist Church. Yeah. is perhaps one of the most anxious generations on record. Would you agree? Knowledge has increased dramatically over the past hundred years. Knowledge brought us the peace and the well-being that we seek. It could be argued, in fact, that it's had the opposite effect. The truth of Proverbs 1.7 on February 18th, 2024, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. True knowledge True peace 
will only come from the Lord Himself. And I am so glad this morning, and I hope you are too, I'm so glad that we have His Word, that we have His revelation to us preserved through many fires over many centuries. The Holy Spirit has had His pleasure in doing that, preserving His Word for us. I'm thankful. Verses 5 and 6. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood. Poor Daniel, right? He's just overwhelmed by this. Stood One on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long? How long? Shall it be till the end of these wonders? Now, the someone in verse 6 here who asks his rather bewildered question, shall it be to the end of these wonders? This presumably is another angel. In which case, it would confirm that there are things that are hidden even from the heavenly host. There are things that even the angels don't know that they have to ask about. And his question here concerns the whole prophecy that has just been uttered that began at the, at the beginning of chapter 11. Out loud about the timeline of it all. The rise and the fall of kingdoms, the persecution of God's people, the coming of the Antichrist, final judgment, Resurrection, everlasting life. What is the timeline? Verse 7, And I heard the man clothed in linen, our celestial man, who was above the waters of the stream, raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now, the practice when swearing an oath in the ancient Near East was to raise just one hand. But here, notice very carefully, our celestial man raises both hands to heaven he makes his very solemn oath. Both hands means, if I can put it colloquial, colloquially, <laughs> both hands means that the volume knob on the truth and of this oath is turned up to the max. What the angel says here will most assuredly be true. And what the angel says is, carefully, friends, that there would be a defined period of time, a time, times, and half a time defined by the Lord, and that when the shattering of the power of the whole comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Now, I wish I could stand here this morning and tell you that one day the whole world will be Christianized. 
that the worldwide church of Jesus Christ for all its problems will only get stronger and more and more influential in the world before Christ returns. I wish I could tell you that. But that would be to go directly contrary to the angel's prophecy here. Listen carefully. The two-handed, certain and sure word from God that comes to Daniel in this verse is a hard word. The angel promises here that a day will come when the power of God's holy people, when the power of will be shattered. God gives us the straight up hard news here. Stuart Oliot, as he looks at verse 7, he says, we will come to a point in history where it appears that darkness has really won the day. It will seem as if the Antichrist is going to continue forever. If the church has been entirely obliterated, for there will no longer be any sign of it. What's being prophesied here in verse 7, in a very upfront and in a very candid way, is the day coming when the Antichrist will appear to have broken Christ's church irreparably, shattered it. Back in chapter 7, we were already warned about the Antichrist wearing out the saints of the Most High. Here in chapter 12, we are that a day will come when the Antichrist will appear to have shattered the church to pieces. But, <laughs> very moment, friends, of being lower than low, in, in that very moment of the church's astounding weakness, in that moment when powers will appear to be doing their very worst, God will step in. He will cut short the day of that wicked trial, Mark 13, 20. He will cut short the days. The distress of the church will be limited sovereignly by God. And when he comes in that day, it will be seen universally, as Sid Gradanis has put it, it will be seen universally that only he can bring his eternal kingdom on and that he alone deserves all the honor and glory. Jesus returns, the dead are raised, there is the final judgment Antichrist is blown away by the breath of Jesus Christ, and Satan experiences his final demise. And as believers who have persevered, we live eternally with Jesus on the new earth. It turns out that the gates of hell will not prevail 
against his church. Our conquering King Jesus, one who will prevail. Now, speaking of Jesus, and I want you to listen here, did he not suffer torture and death on the cross, followed by glory as he was raised and exalted to the right hand of the Father? Should we expect a different pattern as his followers? Isn't this prophecy of Daniel 12:7 fitting? with the road that we must take as his church, as his disciples. Great suffering here at the hands of Christ, with God then working glory as he ends the Antichrist and raises his weak church from the dead to live with him eternally. We should not expect that the pattern for the church will be different than the pattern lived out by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is suffering followed by glory. As not above our master. Well, poor Daniel. Daniel did not have the advantage, like you and I have the advantage of having a New Testament, where many of these things are fleshed out for us in more detail. Verse 8 Daniel openly confesses his confusion. I heard, but what? <laughs> I didn't get it. Dan, well, I guess. I guess. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Now, in Hebrew, Daniel's question here is only four words. Literally, his question is, Lord, what purpose these Daniel is asking the why question here. He's asking the what purpose question. Daniel is bewildered here. And notice the celestial man's answer to Daniel in verse 9. He said, go your way. <laughs> go your way, Daniel. You are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Go your way, Daniel. You don't have to understand everything, Daniel. Go back to Go back to your work. Go your way, knowing from this prophecy that God controls all things. That the rise and the fall of empires the rise and the fall of Antiochus Epiphanes and that distant one who will look like him but be worse, shattering the rescue, the exaltation of God's people, all of it is in the almighty hands of God. So go your way. Oh, but Daniel, here's a final piece of assuring Revelation for you just before you go your way, verse 10. Daniel, the outcome of the persecution and the pain that God suffer is this. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. 
and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So notice this, the first part of verse 10 carries the imagery of metal being and refined in a fire. My friends, in the hot fires of persecution and suffering, the church is refined and purified. In the weakness of its extremity, the church learns increasingly and with desperation that it must cling to the Lord who is its only hope. And in this, the church is purified and strengthened and refined. But as they shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Dale Davis summarizes this as follows. He says, quote, remain in their accustomed darkness, but the Lord's wise ones will discern the issues of the time, will perceive what they are called to do and what it will cost. Close quote. Now, my friends, there are only three verses left in the book of Daniel, and you might think that the book would end, we hope, with something easy for Daniel and for us uh, to understand after all that rather difficult territory that we've covered from chapter 7 onward. So maybe a nice sunset now as the credits roll, easy listening music in the background. Watch what happens here, verses 11 and 12. The celestial man continues. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Now keep in mind mind here that the celestial man has already told a very bewildered Daniel uh, to go his way, right? In verse 9, the angel has already suggested to Daniel that he need not understand everything. And so I can't help but imagine here, this is just me imagining, but I can't help imagine in verses 11 and 12 that as the angel now voices these cryptic, these very particular numbers, 1290 and this 1335, that he voices them to Daniel with a smile on his face and perhaps a wink in Daniel's direction. You won't understand this, Daniel, so don't even try. But there will be 1290 days, these 1290 days, but blessed is the person who gets to the 1335 days. <laughs> these numbers confuse us act of contemporary confusion becomes very clear as you look, as I did last week, as you look at biblical commentaries, where there is no clear consensus on their meaning. But I think the key things in this verse are very simple things. Track with me here. First, just notice this simple fact that 1290 days and 1335 days are precise numbers of days, aren't they? They are both Exactly and precisely by who? By God. 
They are both time periods that God sovereignly limits to these exact specifications. It's not 1334. It's 1290 and 1335. Secondly, notice that 1335 days is a greater number of days than 1290. And that if one endures all the way to the 1335. So there's a general call here to God's people to endure and through persecution. We think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 10.22 and again in Matthew 24.13. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so the call here in these closing verses of the book of Daniel is to remain steadfast. To remain faithful. Enduring to the end. In faith. Knowing with you in all things and that he is the one who will bring you through and then comes the final verse of Daniel verse 13 here it is again but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place Now, friends, I can't think of a more beautiful way to end this book of Daniel than this. The celestial man, notice he repeats the command, go your way, Daniel. Go your way till the end. That is, go back to Microsoft Office and phone calls and coffee breaks. 1 Thessalonians 4.11, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. Go your way, Daniel. Work with integrity for King Cyrus of Persia. Continue to live holiness and godliness until the end. Until your body is laid in the dust, which for you, Daniel, elderly Daniel, will be fairly soon. Don't fret about the future that God has mapped out, Daniel. Go your way and glorify God with all your remaining days. And, man, you shall, what? Rest. You shall die peacefully and rest in your grave, Daniel. And then, glory shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Now those words, notice those words, allotted place. These are inheritance words. The same Hebrew term is used many times in the book of Joshua to describe the inherited places and territories of the tribes of Israel. As Davis says here, God is assuring that you have an allotted place an assigned place designated for you in the resurrection age at the end of days. What a promise. Jesus has prepared a place, John 14, 2, for our brother Daniel 
just as he is preparing a place for us who believe. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to navigate my glory over to Daniel's allotted place and have coffee with him in a long conversation. Go your way, church of Jesus Christ. The book of Daniel has taught us. It has taught us that God has the future of all things, all things, in his mighty, good, and unstoppable hand. Go your way. He has called you to do. Spread his gospel courageously in this Babylon in which we live, knowing from this book of Daniel that even if they throw you into the fire, even if they throw you to the lions, even if the weight of government bears down on you, your champion, God, is with you. And one day after you to wake up your body from death and reunite it with your soul, which has already been with him, and with your glorified body, you will be able to raise your arms and raise your hands and shout Jesus and his victory forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, praise you. Thank you. You are good. You are mighty. You are faithful. You are more our words can express. And I pray, Lord, this week, no matter what we are facing as individuals, that you would walk closely with us, showing us your power, your goodness, your love, your compassion, your might, even your sense of humor. I pray, Lord, for blessing over every person in the sound of my voice. And Father, may we be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.